Thank you, ladies. I invite you to grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter number 16, Matthew chapter number 16, as we embark on a new study, a series, and I want I've been excited about, been planning much for, and the title of the series is just simply this, What is Church? And we're going to look at, as we've entitled this part, the beginning, uh, Matthew chapter 16, if you'll join me there, Matthew chapter 16, and we'll get into the scriptures in just a moment but here you and I are we're on this Sunday morning a snowy Sunday morning here in Michigan and we're sitting in a building that houses the church of Christ or more specifically what we would declare ourselves to be the local assembly the manifestation of God's universal church you're here so it's obvious that you value especially on a day like today you value what we call church but if someone were to ask you what is church how would you answer If someone were to ask you to describe it, what its roles are, how would you answer that? Why is it that your heart and my heart, our souls as believers are drawn to be a part of a local assembly? Why is it? Why why is it that we get saved and it just seems we're drawn towards it? Why does the Holy Spirit inside of us encourage us not only to join a local church, but to be part of it and to get engaged and to get plugged into it, get involved? What is the big deal about being a member anyway? Why, why should we be a member? Why? What's the point of that? What's God's design and purpose and plan for the local church? What's my role as a member? What, what role do I play? How do I fit into it? What are the dangers that derail and distract a local church in its purpose and its plan? Just how important is the local church in my life as a believer? These are all questions that I hope through this series we'll be able to answer for you. That as you and I walk away from this series, we'll, in our minds and our hearts, will be solidified in what the Scriptures teach about the church. So that you and I can always give an answer of someone maybe who asks us of, okay, what is the church really all about? These questions demand answers. You know, in a world, and we've said this before, in a world where commitment is much waning, And many have on their own redefined what church is. We need to look at God and His Word and see what His plan is for every believer. See what His plan is for the local church. See what His design is for the believer and His part in the local church. Hey, can I tell you this morning, listen carefully, I sure am thankful that I am a Baptist. Okay. You say, well, Pastor Henry, why are we Baptists? Why is it such a big deal that we attend a Baptist church? Well, there's many reasons. That's a, a sermon for another time that we've dealt with. But I will tell you this. One of the keys is the acronym of Baptist, the letter B, we believe, and how we remember it. It stands for Bible. And the Bible is the sole authority for faith and practice. It gives us our doctrine. It gives us our principles. When we want to know how to live, what to do, what the purpose of the church is, we look to the Scriptures, God's Word. That's one of the keys. Not a whole lot of churches do that anymore. We want to look to God's Word. So that's the plan for this series. Let's, let's understand what God Himself says. Let's, let's use it as that sole authority for what a church is. I, I like what uh, many experts have said. They, they've declared America to be this. They, uh, they said, the, uh, describing the state of the church, that uh, America is characterized as a nation of believers but not belongers. It's a good statement. 
believers, but not belongers, not attached, not getting plugged in, not, not doing. And I think that recent polls, if you've been able to peruse them, they certainly support this assumption. One of the many authors that I've been reading in preparation for the, this study uh, encourages his readers, those to who read his book, to stop dating the church. <laughs> stop dating the church. Get plugged in and follow God's plan. Uh, get involved. But sadly, you know, there are some non-biblical beliefs that have um, reared their ugly head. What are they? Well, faith is a solo pursuit. I, I can be an island to myself. I, uh, faith is a, a solo pursuit. Uh, uh, spirituality, that's a, that's a private, personal matter. And these erroneous beliefs, these non-biblical thoughts of, uh, well, you know, what you believe is just so private, it's just so personal. Hey, my friend, can I tell you, God gave the church as a public place for your spirituality and what you believe to be public. It's not a solo thing. And these have, unfortunately, they've gotten in to good churches. They've gotten in the hearts and minds of believers, children of God, where we've come to believe such things. We've trusted in that. And it leads, sadly, it leads to the the little uh, involvement. It leads to little commitment, which in in turn, excuse me, what does that produce? It produces anemic and unhealthy churches and believers. And believers. Some of you, (laughs) some of us men, oh, I don't need to go to a doctor. I'm not dying. Some of you wives have a hard time getting your husband to go, Amen. Hey, what's a Christian? Hey, I, I don't need the church. I, I'm fine on my own. I, I don't need to be plugged in. That, that'd be pretty erroneous for us to do that in a physical sense. Yeah. To avoid doctors, to avoid tests, to avoid those things. That's not smart. Hey, spiritually, can I tell you, God's design is not for you to avoid the church, but get in it. Get plugged in. Be a part. It's part of His great plan. The sad, is, the sad thing is, is... Um, America has been trending this way, and I, I would say probably not, no doubt just in America. That's certainly what we're familiar with, but much of the world has probably been trending the same way. It's interesting. Let me give you a few statistics. Back in the 90s, uh, the adult population here in America, it increased by 15%. So in the 90s, 15% in increase in the adult population. At the same time, the number of adults who didn't attend church or only went on major holidays increased by 92%. 92%. So there's only a 15% increase in the population, but there was a 92% increase in those who did not attend church or only attended on major holidays. See, church is being de-emphasized. Church is not nearly as important, certainly, as it once was. You want to break that down to more. Today, only 28% of younger Americans between ages 23 and 37 attend church. One in four. That, That number has steadily declined over the last several decades. For other generations, the range is between 43 and 52%. Furthermore, and this is where we are, you want to talk about today, this is where we are. 59% of millennials who grew up in churches are leaving. 59% are leaving. Stark uh, statistic, challenging, certainly discouraging. 
I would submit to you this morning that we need to dig below and into these layers of the statistics. And even our own verifiable experiences with the local church the past three to four decades. And as we do, I think we can arrive to what the root problem is. And um, let me put it out this way. Let me just kind of lay it out and throw it out. Listen to me carefully. It is not in order to gain the millennials back, in order to start getting people to church. Listen to me. We do not need to change church. We need to change our understanding of what church is. Too many have tried gimmicks. Too many have tried everything to to change church. My friend, you cannot change church from how God designed it. He designed it. It's His plan. It's His institution. So we need not change church. What we need to change is our understanding of what church is. I would, honestly, I'd put it this way. What's the main problem? Well, many uh, have lost sight and understanding of what the church is and the size and the extent of the role the church is to play in the life of every believer. Those two things coupled together, we've lost, we've become uh, maybe disillusioned with what church is in our own way. And and then at the same time, the, the role of the church has diminished. Now listen, I, I was thinking on the way in this morning, I drove down Fostoria Road and I'm thinking, oh my, from the edge of Lapeer County where it stops right down here to the church, they haven't paved it. Now that may not surprise you if you live in Tuscola County, but anyway, here's my thoughts. What if this was a school day? It likely would have been plowed. Not a guarantee, of course, I know that. But it likely would have been plowed. And all I can think of, I don't know, 50 years ago, I think the county might be concerned about people going to church. They might have given a thought, hey, there's going to be people out on the roads today. They may have thought, hey, hey, we need to clear the roads. And call me old-fashioned, but I am old enough to remember when everything shut down for church. I still remember the day when, when everybody went to church. Church does not save you. You can sit in a church and you can go to hell as much as the guy who never darkens the doorstep of a church. Do not get me wrong, but I'm telling you, church has diminished in the eyes of people. So we've got to understand where we are today. And you and I, above all people who are believers following Christ, have a heart to follow Him. We must understand what church is. And then we need to get back to the biblical role in which it's to play in our lives. We've got to reestablish it for what it is. I trust you and I will see in the study of the church that the local manifestation of the universal church of Christ is God's perfect design for the furtherance of His kingdom, not just among the masses. In other words, it isn't just God's plan to take the gospel out, which it is. It's not just that, though. Can I tell you, it is God's plan for the furtherance of His kingdom in your life and in mine. That's the, that's the role of the church. That's God's design and plan. It's central to his plan for you and I. God designed it. We'll see that. One author put it this way, and I think he he put it much more succinctly than I could. He said this, If the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? It's a good challenge. Great truth. You see, the church has just been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. 
to the edge of our life where it's not as nearly as important as what God says it is. We'll see that from scriptures. We'll see God's plan and description of it. So to establish the fact, the truth, that God's plan and purpose is for the local church to be central in your life, I want you to see his design, his blueprint as presented to us in the scriptures. Where did it all begin? How did the church start? If God were building a church, which he has because it's his church, if God is building the church, what would it look like? How would it be described? Well, we have a perfect example here in the scriptures because it is indeed the church that he built. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Let's start here. Matthew chapter 16. We'll get as far as we can today and we'll continue in weeks to come. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, Petra, a little stone, Yet, and upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, shalt thou be shall be bound, excuse me, in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that he should, they should tell no man, notice this, that he was Jesus the Christ. Don't tell him yet. It's coming. The day's coming, man. We're going to tell them. We've seen as we looked at this picture, as we looked at this passage, first truth we want to find out is this, and we understand about the church. The church is founded and unified around Jesus Christ, the Savior. It is all about Him. It is His church. When Christ said, we've looked at this passage before, when He said, upon this rock, He had just compared uh, Peter, a small, insignificant stone, to Himself, a rock. On Wednesday nights, we're studying Romans. It's simply to entitle our study is, a rock, solid faith, uh, that's founded upon the rock, Jesus Christ. So is the church. Peter would prove, no doubt, in the weeks to come, the years to come, that he was a great, terrific tool in the process. But Jesus Christ is the rock upon which the church is built. He alone is central to it. He alone is salvation. He alone is the good news. He is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is all about Him. This truth is the pulse that beats throughout the rest of the New Testament. It is what undergirds and is the foundation of the local church. You do not have life in the local church unless you have Jesus Christ. You do not have life as a believer unless you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It is a teaching point that Christ made in this passage and that would come to fruition, that would blow up in the days to come. Peter took notice. The rest of the apostles took note of what Christ was saying. If the church is going to be built, it must be built upon Jesus Christ. And all the truth that He is the Messiah, He is the Christ, the Anointed One. So they carried on in the weeks and days to come. 
And they would then witness themselves. They would play a huge part in the very first church there in Jerusalem being founded in this way. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 1. Obviously talking about the church will be much in Acts uh, as it details the beginning of God's church. Acts chapter 1, look down with me in verse number 15. We have one of the first prayer meetings of the church. One of the uh, early organizational meetings. You call it a congregational meeting. You call it whatever you want. But here in Acts chapter 1, in verse 15, we have it. They're gathered together. Notice it, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the, the names together were about 120. We won't continue in that passage, but we see that that meeting was taking place. It was a meeting that was going to begin establishing you could call it a church plant you can call whatever you like it's literally going to start this church it's interesting even as they do they are focused on jesus christ he encourages them that christ is going to be central to everything they do then they set out to add names to add to their number to proclaim the the news the good news of jesus christ and my friend that is how the church is built remember back in mark christ said i will build my church who builds a church god builds a church he does it through the preaching of jesus christ he does it through the sharing the witnessing of the good news here is his blueprint do not miss it the new testament churches in that first century scattered around the roman empire in the known world, they were built by God. They were established on Jesus Christ as their own foundation. The church is not a man-made institution. It is not designed by man. It is not ran by man. It is an organization designed by God for God's glory. It is not a place that is designed and orchestrated by man for man's glory. This is God's church. It's His plan. It's His designed tool to be employed. Now listen to me. It's His designed tool to be employed in two major purposes. The salvation of men and the sanctification of the saved. That's His purpose and plan as for the church. To be built up in Christ through that. Well, here we have Peter seizes this opportunity. He takes it with the other apostles. And on that day of Pentecost, you know it well, he rises to to preach after they have already spoken in the languages of all these Jews that have gathered and other people that have gathered. And every man's astonished that they hear them speaking in their own language. And it's just an amazing day uh, there, the day of Pentecost. And notice with me, if you will, what does he speak of? Oh, he speaks of his Savior. Look in Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 22 with me. We pick up in the middle of his message. He says this, Peter does. Ye men of Israel, Acts 2.22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Notice it, verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Jumped ahead to, to verse 32. Verse 32. Notice it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof, or raised up, excuse me, whereof we all are witnesses. 
Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now notice verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. Man, can I tell you, you read that message, and you know what the focal point of that message is? Jesus Christ. Hey, Jews, you crucified him. That's some boldness for a guy who had just gotten done denying Jesus Christ three times. Being used of God now as a tool to, to proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, you think of it, no one can deny that this message is all about Christ. He alone is really the focal point. Even in his speech, what is his sermon? Peter does what? He dethrones David in the hearts, in the minds of those Jews. He says, listen, David, it's not about David being up there. It's about Jesus Christ being up there. The one whom you crucified. He's now on the right hand of God. Whoa, you tear down David in front of those Jews? You know what he was saying? David's a mere man, but Jesus Christ, he is Lord. He is the Messiah. And Peter has established him. And my friend, can I tell you, listen carefully, there's no other way to build God's church. When he says, I will build my church, he builds it on one person and one person only, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every time. And such it is. Now what's the result? Notice it, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Jump ahead to verse 41. Then they that gladly received the word. Peter says, repent, be baptized. He tells them, believe. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them, unto the church, three thousand souls now that's a pretty good day isn't it you know for my calculations and my math may be off but that's a 96 percent increase in church membership that's a pretty good day can't argue with those numbers you think of it here we have here in response to this convicting message what was the message of jesus christ in response to it what do they ask what shall we do what is it that we need to do? Now, notice it. He says what? Well, you need to repent. You need to believe is the first instruction. Then Peter instructs them to mark themselves off as a peculiar people. In other words, hey, you need to declare, you need to show that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to be set apart here in this case by means of baptism. In other words, in Christ, both their lives and their identity have changed. And so hence we have our second truth about the church. The church administers the first step of obedience for every believer, for every Christian, and that is baptism. Baptism. One of the ordinances we identify. You see, here's the key thing. The church is given the ordinance, and so the church plays a vital part, a vital role in the setting apart process for every believer. That's given to the church to do. 
baptism waters. Last Sunday, we were supposed to have a baptism. Weather, uh, Kyle is the name, couldn't make it. And so we were supposed to do today, couldn't make it. I was hoping it fit in well with this. But every time that we do this, we as a church are fulfilling our role to help someone be set apart. What I tell you, the baptism stands for, we know it from scriptures. Number one, you're identifying with Christ. You're letting people know that you have trusted in Christ. But number two, can I tell you what you're telling the world? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of him. I am one of his. I am no longer of this world. I am no longer of the flesh. I am his. It is a great declaration. We see it throughout all scripture. These folks, they got it. They got saved. They got baptized. They became a part of that local church. Notice these different passages we see it throughout Acts. Time does not permit us, so let me share them with you. Acts 8.12. But when they believed, Philip preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. The verse 13, the one right after that, talks of Simon. Simon himself believed also. Then he was baptized. It's amazing. Many of these verses not only teach the fact the first step of obedience is baptism, but they also confirm for us that baptism has nothing to do with belief. Read every verse. They believed, baptized. Believed, baptized. It's a natural first step, but it has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is through faith alone. Faith and grace. Every single verse. Notice these next few verses. Paul himself followed the same pattern. Acts chapter 9 and verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes. This is Saul, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Acts chapter 16 and verse 33. Uh, notice it here. And he took them the same hour of the night. This is the uh, Philippian jailer. And washed their stripes, and he was baptized, he and all his straightway. Then finally in Acts 18.8, just a sampling for us. Acts 18.8, Acts 18, we are told, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord, the one sure foundation, with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed, and were baptized. Man, this is a whole bunch of people getting saved, getting baptized, which identified them as followers of Christ, becoming members of that local church. In fact, in fact, we know the church at Philippi begins here, the church at Corinthian, or Corinth, excuse me. In fact, they're henceforth not a group of individual believers anymore. They are a church. They're identified as such time and time again. And here's our third observation. As we're studying the beginning of God's church, His design and blueprint, we see that it's founded on Christ, that it uh, it necessitates baptism. Its role is to perform that ordinance. And then number three, you know what we see is this. The church is how Christians collectively identify themselves. The Scriptures, the Holy Spirit identify them as that, and they begin to identify even themselves as the church. They use it of themselves. Notice it, it is all throughout Acts. It's funny how it changes here in the book. We call Acts a transitional book, and so it is. The church now, you go from talking a lot about individual believers, and now it's the church, the church the church. Notice it. Acts chapter 8 and in verse number 3. As for Saul, uh, he made havoc of the church. A- Acts eleven twenty two. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Uh, Acts eleven twenty six. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves together with who? The church. And taught much people. 
Now listen, we're taking a bunch of individuals, and now they have collectively become the church. That is God's plan. You're not to be an individual Christian all by yourself, all out on an island. You are supposed to be part of the church. And there ought to be great pride in being part of God's church. It ought to thrill your heart that God has made a plan as such for you and I to be identified in this way. Notice this, Acts chapter 12 and in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. Acts 12, 5. Um, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing by who? Of the church. Believers coming together. Power of being together unto God for him. Acts chapter 14, verse 27, first part. And when they were come and had gathered the church together. Then Acts 15, 3, and being brought on their way by who? The church. And then one last one here, 15, 4, the verse that follows. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church. Now, on the surface, they say, hey, Pastor Henry, I get it, man. That's the, that's the church. It seems kind of insignificant, Pastor. Uh, what, why are we harping on this? Well, it isn't insignificant. The term church is used by not only others to describe the believers, but by Christians themselves to identify themselves, note it, in the work and life together. Now listen to me, if I were to ask you, what are you? See, many of us, maybe out in the world, we might say, well, I am a northerner. I live in Michigan. And by that, you're declaring something. Hey, I'm a northerner. Hey, Brother Rich will tell you gladly that he's a southerner. He's just misplaced, right? Okay, I'm a southerner. You know, and, uh, whatever that describes. And declare, we're declaring something. You, you know, I, I, I'm learning Michigan. I, I went down into the city a little bit, and they talked about, you know, those hicks up in the thumb. It's like, I'm, I'm one of those hicks. Why are you talking about us like that? And I hear some of you people talking about youpers. What in the world is a youper? So we even here, we, we categorize ourselves. We describe ourselves as something. We identify ourselves. Hey, you know, hey, there's a group that they call themselves the Buckeyes. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just wrong. We identify. Hey, that tells you where they're from. And, and I, I'm not a Hoosier, okay? I'm not, I'm a, I shouldn't say a Boilermaker today. Anyway, uh, I'm, I was actually, I'm, I'm digging a hole. I was born in Ohio. Many of you didn't know that. I was a, born a Buckeye. Isn't that sad? So now I'm a Michigander. Don't look at me that way, Brother Barry. I'm a, it's okay. So, hey, we identify ourselves this way. We, we say, okay, this, this is what I am. And, and whatever the case may be. Nor, I mean, you describe it. Why do we do that? Because it describes us. Can I tell you, as believers, God wants you and I to say, listen, I'm a part of the church. I'm his bride. I'm a child of God. And yes, I'm a believer, but praise be to God, I'm the church. Our choir sings a song, We Are Your Church. That's, my friend, can I tell you, that is a great thing to be. His bride, he loves you. He loves me. It is not to be shied away from. It is not to be redefined. It it is not to be something that, no, we are his church. Where's bride? And they came to collect. I mean, you see it. Study the book of Acts even more than we can do this morning. And you'll find this transition where it's, it's not so much about the individual anymore. It is about the corporate church. Because God has a great plan for the church. He wants to use it. It's a community. We'll see the different descriptions. It's the body to which we belong. And we are committed This is their corporate identity now in Christ. The individual belongs to something larger and stronger. 
And that's where we get our last point for this morning. We see the church demonstrate something else that makes it both unique and crucial in the life of the New Testament believer, but also in the greater cause of God's kingdom. Notice it, number four. The church, when assembled, possesses a corporate power unmatched on the individual level. The church, when assembled, possesses a corporate power unmatched on the individual level. Paul wrote about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. He talked about the power of Christ that is manifested when that church at Corinth came together, when they assembled and were of one mind. Many of these verses from Acts that we've already looked at and quoted are prime examples of the power of the church displayed. I think one of the greatest is there when the church was gathered together to pray. <laughs> the power of God manifesting. We see it all throughout Acts. The sending of missionaries is done there by the church. Prayer battles are waged. The preaching of the Word of God. Can I tell you, you look at history. The most powerful revivals that have ever hit the world started in the local church. The greatest missionary endeavors, those from the pages of Scriptures and elsewhere, they did not derive from a mission board. They started in the local church. The greatest times of um, preaching, proclaiming the Word of God. It was ordained, ordained by God to begin at the local church. Even the world tells us this. There is strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. There's power in numbers. There's something that the group can accomplish much more than the individual. That the whole has a greater means of impact than just does one person that first church here as we have recorded for us as we've seen in acts it was a mighty force for the cause of christ that individuals doing their own thing going their own way independent of one another without organization could never do in hundreds of years and yet god designed something to accomplish it in days and weeks in just a few years you think of it. God has a plan. Hey, whose way is perfect? Not ours. God's. Oh, when we follow Him and He shows us His will, certainly then our way can become perfect because we followed His perfect way. But I'll tell you, my friend, it is God who designed the church. It is God who defined the church. And it is God who has deemed you and I to be the church. We can do powerful things through it. God's word informs us that God himself said this. What did he say? He said, hey, when two or three of you uh, of the church are, are gathered in my name, I'm going to be right there, right there in the midst. My power, my presence will be there. Can I tell you, you can't have God's presence present without great things happening in hearts and lives. I like how one author put it. He, uh, I think it was an astute observation. He expressed it this way apologize for the long quote but god will manifest his presence in congregational worship in ways you can never know even in the most glorious secret worship that's because you are not only the temple of god as an individual but the bible also says and often far more often that christians collectively are god's temple God manifests His presence in different ways to the living stones of His temple when they are gathered than He does to them when they are apart. Man, it's a great thought. You and I get to see God do things corporately that He might not choose to do individually. 
We can come and enjoy worship in such a way that, that we can't do individually. That's God's plan. That's why you should be in your local church. That's why you should get plugged in and be a part of it. Like the lad who brought his lunch to God and he said, okay, it's not much, but, but you can have it. And he put it into the hands of God. And then what happened? God fed thousands. You know what you and I are called to do today as believers? You and I are called by our God to place ourselves, listen carefully, in the house of God, His church. And let's see what He can do. Both in your life and in my life, both around the world for the cause of Jesus Christ, those early believers of the first century found it to be true. They said, okay, yeah, we want to trust in Christ. We want to be baptized. We want to be a part of that church. And great things happen. Study the book of Acts. I mean, you talk about spreading. Wow, it did. I don't know about you, but I sure do want to experience that today at Fostoria Baptist Church. When we put ourselves in the hands of God because we've put ourselves in the house of God and His church. Yes, a, a challenge to us, some truths we found. But can I leave you just with three things, three takeaways as we might put it this morning and we're done. What do, I, what, what do we want to take away? Well, certainly those four truths about the church. I, I'd encourage you to, to write them down, to think through them, to study them out. But I'd also say this in relation to this. Here's three things from the series, from this message this morning. Number one, we want to study, know, and understand what God designed church to be. Someone asks you, what do you do on a Sunday morning? What do you do a uh, Sunday night or Wednesday night? Well, I go to church. What do you mean by that? More importantly, what does God mean by that? Hey, you go to church? Yeah, yeah, I go to Fostoria Baptist Church. What's Fostoria Baptist Church? Can I tell you, we are not a, bun- a, const- a church constitution. We are not bylaws and everything else. We are what God designed a church to be. That's what we strive. Number two, and this is important. This is where we've gotten away from In many ways, we need to embrace the church's central role in my life and then in turn, my role in its operation. So let's look. We're going to look in the weeks to come. What what does God say? How is it supposed to be central to my life? How is it supposed to do some things for me as then I in turn get plugged in and my role in its operation? Then number three. Seems, I hope you've picked up on my heart on this already. It maybe seems small and insignificant, but can I encourage you? Get excited about being the church. Being the bride of Christ. Being who He loved, who He died for, who He cares about, and who He wants to do great things through. Get excited about being His church. Father, we thank you for your beautiful blueprint and scriptures of what a church is, what it's supposed to do. And Lord, I am tremendously excited as we, uh, Lord, embark on this study and this series from your word to, to see what church is in your eyes, how you designed it. And Father, I pray you'd help us to, as a church, a local church, that we would make sure we are fulfilling what you've called us to do here. And then, Lord, as individual believers, a part of the whole, I pray, Father, that we will make sure that church is the focal, central role that it should have. That we are treating it as you want us to. That, Father, that 
we are allowing it to do in our lives what you want it to do. Lord, in many ways, I know this will not be an easy study. Some will be uncomfortable in ways about it. But, Father, I trust that as we look into your word, you will make your will, your plan, perfectly clear. And, Father, my prayer is that through it, that each one of us individually be strengthened, that we would be, uh, Lord, that we would gain knowledge and understanding. And then, Father, corporately as a church, I pray you'd strengthen us. That, Father, you would uh, gird us up in what we are to do. And, Father, I pray that we would love this local church. We would love being a part of your church. And, Father, that as we allow it to have its role in our lives, that we in turn would have and serve in our role in its operation. Father, I love you so very much. I thank you that you want us to be your church. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for what it means. Lord, we ask now that you'd help this series to do a great work as only it can because it's from your word and as only you can do. Father, we ask that you would build your church. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. The piano begins to pray, play. I would ask and encourage you and I, let's spend some time in prayer. Maybe it's to pray individually about ourselves. Hey, maybe it's, Father, I've allowed the role of the church kind of to wonder. I, I haven't made it that central, that focal point in my life as I know you want it to be. Maybe it's a, a prayer for our, our church as a whole. Father, build our church. Through this series, Lord, you use it and you strengthen us. And Father, give me understanding. Give me wisdom. So that when somebody asks me about my church, I'm ready to tell them what you said church is. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's spend some time reflecting, meditating on this truth from His Word and talking with Him.